0: this is reset i'm sasha ann simons it's friday at noon so you know what time it is we're taking you behind the headlines in our weekly news recap with local journalists working on stories like these
1: With 365 days behind us since the first bus dropped off migrants in Chicago, living arrangements for asylum seekers is still a hot-button issue.
0: Angry words and heated confrontation over plans to house migrants' steps from people's front doors.
2: Democratic lawmakers have come together to call on President Biden to fast-track work permits. A
3: cloud of mystery still hangs over the shooting incident at Guaranteed Rate Field. The lawyer for one of the women shot during a White Sox game Friday night releasing a statement denying his client brought a gun into Sox Park.
0: Our panel today includes Brandis Friedman, co-anchor and correspondent of WTTW's Chicago Tonight. Welcome back, Brandis. Hey, thank you for having me. So good to see you. You as well. And we've got Chicago Tribune political reporter Alice Yin. Great to have you back, Alice. Thank you. And Patrick Smith, criminal justice reporter for WBEZ. Hey, Pat. Hey, Sasha. All right, so we don't usually start with sports, but why not, right? The White Sox are giving us plenty to talk about. Let's get into the bizarre incident, first of all, at the White Sox game on Friday night, Patrick.
2: What? Yeah, it's been it's been about a week uh, since this happened. there were two women. Uh, probably most people listening now are aware of this, but but we want to get our facts straight here, especially because there are a lot of facts that are still not known about this. <laughs> so two, true. Two women who were struck by bullets around 7:30 p.m. a week ago Friday. They were sitting near Section 161 in Guaranteed Rate Field. The White Sox were playing the Oakland Athletics. One woman uh, suffered two gunshot wounds to the right leg. One of the bullets traveled through her thigh. The other struck her calf and became lodged in her shin. Another woman was grazed in the abdomen by a bullet. She was twenty-six years old. Is twenty-six years old. uh, Denied, uh, you know, refused medical treatment. Uh, And that's what we know. We know that these two women were injured by gunfire. We know very little else, including. But but still, there were several
0: theories about what happened. Yes, yes,
2: several (laughs) theories about what happened. I mean, all. I think boiling down to the fact that that we still don't know if these shots came from inside or outside of the ballpark, which is like obviously kind of the main thing that still needs to be figured out here so that police and the White Sox and all of us can – Start to try to piece together it's kind what of a big deal actually and where did it come here? from? Yeah. and
1: we're we're hearing different stuff about that too, yeah. right? because you know, at first there were headlines it could have come from a mile away, and that just sounds ridiculous. But we hear the police department saying that you know it had to have come from inside. Mm-hmm. They've ruled out the possibility that it's come from outside. But then just yesterday, Jerry Reinsdorf was saying that there's no way it could have come from inside the ballpark. I guess you know, kind of crediting the security they, saying there's no yeah. way that security could have allowed something like that to happen,
2: yeah, but and, and, it has. And Reinsdorf said that that interim superintendent Waller told him, you know, we haven't ruled it out. Even though Waller told told reporters, including we had a reporter there who on Monday, Waller said, we've all but ruled out that these shots came from outside of the ballpark. Yesterday, Reinsdorf saying, no, no, you can call Waller. He says, no, we haven't ruled anything out My yet. Goodness. And he's, yeah, as you're saying, Brandis Reinsdorf, the, the owner of the White Sox, is saying there's he can't see any way that these these shots came from inside the park. Um,
0: and there was also talk Pat, of, of, of the gunshot being self-inflicted.
2: Yes, the, the, that is that she shot herself. That's a theory that I've heard a lot that this was, a, you know, an accident, like a gun in a pocket or but something like that. She denies even
0: bringing one in.
2: She denies bringing a gun in. You know, ABC 7, I think, reported that they had law enforcement uh, or, or law enforcement experts who said the pattern of the wounds would indicate that this was an accidental self-inflicted gunshot. But then ABC 7, I believe it was ABC, had. Uh, law enforcement sa- sources saying that her clothing, this woman who was injured, didn't show up for gunpowder residue, which would indicate that in fact the gun was not on yeah. her person. Is,
1: is your head hurting as when, much as mine? The <laughs> and she's uh, also gotten an attorney to you yeah. know to represent her as well, of saying course. that you know she didn't bring a gun in and they weren't self-inflicted. So yeah. she's taking it seriously.
2: Right when you yeah. when you first start to hear like an attorney issued a statement denying, it sounds like ah, eh, what's that about? But then at the same time. If you didn't bring a gun in and you got shot at a White Sox game, you're probably lawyering up to to get some money out yeah. of it. So it's not like suspicious. Especially that she when has people an are pointing the fingers. Yeah, I mean, there th- this sort of lack of knowledge has led to a lot of uh, rumor monder- rumor <laughs> mongering, yeah, and kind of wild theories being put out there.
0: What was on my mind, and tell me what you think, Alice. I was struggling to comprehend how the game continued mm-hmm. after a shooting.
3: Yeah, no, we found out Saturday, um, the morning after that, uh, after the after police responded to the woman wounded, they uh, the, a commander instructed, requested that the White Sox stop the game. I think this is around the fourth inning, and the White Sox did not listen. They continued the game. No one, like other people, did not know even like one section over that people had been shot, and right. then obviously you got that big sign saying Vanilla Ice concert canceled mm. due to technical difficulties. I think that... Probably it's not a good look for the White Sox that that is how they approached it. But um, it, it kind of just shows there was dysfunction between CPD and the team, um, even the night of. And now they're still duking it out in yeah. public. Both yeah. women were
0: CPS teachers at uh, Graham Elementary School. Did you know that, Brandon?
1: I didn't know where they were, but I knew that uh, that the – I'm not sure if it was the district or the union that did confirm that. Goodness. I didn't realize it was both of them.
2: But and yeah. it, it was like a group of like 30 educators who were celebrating sort of return to school, oh. I believe, sort of all together, which sense. is why you had these employees sense. there. And I will say um, – Having been to White Sox games when there's like a Friday night concert, I'd imagine many of the people in the stands were there much more for the Vanilla Ice concert than for the duel between the White two <laughs> of the
0: worst teams in baseball <laughs> playing. So what are the White Sox saying about all of this? Patrick? Well,
2: well as, we, as we heard, you know, as we were just talking about it, and Brand, Brandis brought up, you know, Reinsdorf, uh, the owner, spoke yesterday and said he can't imagine that these shots came right. from within the park, said, you know, the superintendent told him they haven't ruled out. Gunfire coming from outside the park, despite what the superintendent said on Monday. And and we know that, that they've answered questions about their security by essentially saying, um, you know, we review our security after every incident. But right now we don't know anything about what happened here. So we don't know. You know, there's no reason they, they're saying for them to believe that their security failed in this instance since they're right. insisting that this came from outside of the ballpark.
0: Well, I'm going to keep you on the White Sox beat, Patrick. Yeah, I'm here. The team named a new general manager. What do we know about Chris Getz?
2: So Chris Getz, he's 40 years old, a former White Sox player. He spent uh, like parts of two seasons with the White Sox, drafted um, drafted by the White Sox and had, a, I think, a seven-year baseball career uh, – playing career. Mm-hmm. He's been in the White Sox organization for seven years um, in charge of player development, uh, was kind of seen as, as Reinsdorf, kind of somebody who Reinsdorf had long thought of as as a GM candidate. I will say as a Detroit Tigers fan, <laughs> the idea of the White Sox staying in-house with this organization is awesome. I think, yes, definitely keep keep going to that same brain trust that has gotten you to the point you're at now. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure that, that you can—I mean— the White Sox have made all sorts of trades and acquired all sorts of, of amazing prospects. Who Some of them are great, some of them are not, but the team is just not showing up on the field the way people thought they would. So I'm not sure if picking your player development guy and elevating him makes the most sense. But, I hear but a lot of people
0: are upset in the comments online, that's for sure. Uh, Alice, <laughs> yeah. let's stick with baseball for a minute, but we'll, we'll move from the south side to the north side. No, I'm not talking about the Cubs. I'm talking about this story that has to do with a Little League coach. What are the details?
3: Yeah, um, it seems, uh, as reported by Block Club, that this uh, coach, his team lost a Little League game, and there after the game, there was supposed to be a picnic where kids were just playing and uh, just, you know, a, a chill social uh, setting. But um, he, he allegedly uh, came to the parking lot and got into a dispute with a man and woman and flashed um, a gun at them. Uh, it seems he apparently left and came back later, um, and then he was, you know, arrested and charged accordingly, and uh, the Little League uh organization has, you know, banned him from Horner Park um, and put up signs, you know, warning people to warning the team members that he's no longer affiliated. Oh, wow. So
0: as a mom, I've been to plenty of sports games for my kids <laughs> and the tensions can get, you know, they can rise at times. But I've never seen anything like this. Not in person.
1: Have you? I've never seen it happen. I mean, my kids aren't quite into sports yet, but, you know, I know people's kids are, obviously. And yeah. I live in the suburbs, and sports happen, and I've never heard anything like that. I mean, anymore. we've done soccer.
0: I've been the basketball mom, and it's been heated. I mean, I've been the one, uh, no shame, that's,
2: like, <laughs> up on the sidelines. like, <laughs>
1: what are you doing? paying attention, ref?
0: You know, I, I've done that.
2: But You're I'm, screaming at a teenager. But you don't know, go, you know, go get a gun
1: and, and come back and now, now, I do another parent.
0: Sasha doesn't scream at kids. Okay. okay. Let's <laughs> not get that message out they're there. they're your
2: own kids. Well, yeah. Been in, not in Chicago, but there have been instances nationally of, of, of gunfire and, and even murders uh, around youth sports. Uh, yeah. wow, wow, I really am bringing the mood down here. but but, but <laughs> well, you, you, We brought on the crime it's, guys. So. It's, the, it's the combo, right, yeah. of our prolifer- proliferation of guns and the fact that people take mm-hmm. these youth sports too damn seriously. They do.
0: They do. It's ridiculous. All right, let's shift gears here, Alice. This week is marking the one-year anniversary of that first group of migrants who were bussed here from Texas what's the latest on this crisis
3: yeah um, I think what is notable you know from the mayor's side is this was um, a marked uh, shift in tone on how he's discussed this issue Uh, you know during the campaign trail when uh, the topic of migrants did come up he repeatedly said um, at my dinner table there's enough for everyone in the city of Chicago he would you know make analogies of food to um, just show how inclusive his table is but this week he said um, a message to Joe, to President biden um in the federal government, let me state this clearly uh, the city of Chicago cannot go on welcoming new arrivals safely and capably um and then he listed you know what he requires from the federal government uh you know to continue th- this operation but um it is a clear message that this yeah. is no longer sustainable that um if more help is not uh given that yeah. um the city might not be able to welcome anyone.
0: Yeah, we'll yeah. dig more into some of those requests in, in a moment, Alice, but but Brandis, I want to turn to uh the shelter s- situation, right? Cuz that that is what we're trying to do. we're trying to house what so far more than 13,000 migrants who've arrived here, and the city's getting closer to purchasing a massive property that's just blocks from your second home,
1: Channel Eleven <laughs> Studio. <laughs> second home, first home. Um, yeah, it's 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 really it's down the street, right? It's it's Foster, and it's just next to um, one of CTA's bus yards, right? And I, you know, I, I drive by this place with frequency. Um, and as my colleague Heather Sharon is reporting, I think the plan is the city uh, is planning on buying it for one point five million dollars from the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District, because I think um, it's a former uh, U.S. Marine Corps training building, and I think the Marines have. led it go or gotten out of their lease or for whatever reason, they're no longer using it. And so um, I think city officials are saying that, you know, if this is approved by the city council within a month um, after some repairs are made, then they can start moving, uh, you know, some of the migrants who are still sheltering at airports, for crying out loud, can move them into the shelter there. Um, And it sits, you know, it's uh, there's part of the river is up there. I forget which part, you know, parkland. And then, you know, just next door, there's obviously a, a bunch of neighborhoods, a bunch of a residential area and it's down the street from um, a hospital as well. I want to say Swedish covenant. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this could be another thing. So far, I have not heard from our neighbors um, because, obviously, when this has happened repeatedly across the city um, where the city tries to stand up a shelter, the neighbors have something to say. Right. Um, and, may you know, I think it was in Edgewater. They were com- concerned about um, park district, park, you know, programming being moved. Yeah. Obviously, we hear it happening in other parts of the city as there well. There have it's been outside. folks
0: speaking out everywhere, including uh, the East Hyde Park neighborhood, Alice. There was a community forum this week, Actually, what was that about?
3: Yeah. Um, so yeah, my colleague covering it—it it sounded very um, tense, as your know, previous meetings have gone. That um, I've also seen uh, where um, you know residents they aired the usual concerns about uh, you know crime and resources. But you know, when you uh, have these meetings in neighborhoods on the south side, I think there also is the extra layer of uh, why, where, where were these resources for our black residents, for our homeless residents? Um, and there also, I think, still is some. Bitterness and tension from how the Lightfoot administration, when they first proposed some shelters on the south side, they proposed them in uh, shuttered CPS schools like Wadsworth and South Shore High Mm -hmm. School uh, that the black community fought to keep. And I think ever since then, it's just been kind of hard to repair that. But still hearing complaints from aldermen about, you know, not getting a heads up and not uh, being uh, shut out of the process. Yeah. Uh,
0: Patrick, residents from the south side to the Gold Coast are all complaining about increased criminal activity in their neighborhoods uh, that they're saying is because of migrants. Any evidence of that?
2: Well, you know, I have certainly reported on and other outlets have reported on specific incidents or instances where migrants uh, allegedly, you know, committed different uh, criminal activity. Uh, 20th Ward Alderperson Jeanette Taylor has said the migrant shelter in Woodlawn has become a magnet for crime. Um, I haven't seen uh, data that says like, oh, yeah, the migrants are are causing any sort of crime spike. But I certainly wouldn't deny the sort of lived experience of the people who, who say they're witnessing criminal activities. And we've certainly seen individual instances where that happens. I don't think that's a shock when you've got a big, group, big groups of people that are kind of in a chaotic and, and unstructured environment in, plopped into new places.
0: Yeah. Alice, let's get back into our conversation about these politicians asking for help mm-hmm. with the migrant situation. There was this push to speed up work permits. Here's what Governor Pritzker had to say about that.
2: These are folks who entered the United States with legal authorization, including young families with children and seniors. Most often they lack sponsors and have no shelter uh, and they don't have any resources to obtain it. Uh, They have no immediate legal pathway to work.
0: The governor joins, of course, Mayor Johnson and other politicians calling for President Biden to give migrants authorization to work. Here is Illinois Senator Dick Durbin. These people are ready to help and we should give them that chance. I joined with the governor and the mayor and others who say to President Biden, give us the the authority and we will move forward to find jobs that will not take jobs away from Americans but create a better America in the future. So you covered the story this week. What else was going on at this press conference?
3: Yeah, um, I think it was, uh, you know, a market stand that um, all the, you know, Illinois congressional de- delegation, the governor, and the mayor were um, taking together to send a message to the White House saying we need more help and just really highlighting this mismatch in the labor market where they're, you know, having some friends in the industry. There, there are a lot of uh, restaurants and other businesses, small businesses that are hiring and they're having trouble finding workers. And here you have thousands of People ready and able to work, but um, you know, to talk a bit from the federal, the White House's point of view, um, I, I I think there is um, a lot of confusion on how to navigate both the asylum application process and um, these work authorizations. Mm-hmm. And um, it seems that a lot of migrants aren't even applying or going through that process because they don't know how. They they haven't been given help, mm-hmm. and it's all just kind of a mess. Yeah. Well, here's the
0: thing. I mean, currently. Migrants are not able to work, Correct. right? That That is the bottom line, or not legally. Yes. Uh, so, so we're clear, would these permits allow them to take any job, or is, are these jobs within certain industries?
3: Um, I, I, I don't believe they're within certain industries, but I think um, the the DHS can make a case that if there is a increased need of uh, certain services in um, various areas, they can speed up the authorization right. process. Like industries having
0: a harder time to fill. Right positions, right, yeah. such as like warehouses, healthcare, care, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does it seem like Washington might fast track these permits, these work permits?
3: Um, I, I don't know. This is like the loudest that like mayors across the U.S., like in New York, too, are calling for these. So um, there is increased pressure, but it seems like the process might be so convoluted. There might not be an immediate solution.
0: And as you mentioned earlier, Mayor Johnson, he's joining all these politicians and asking for help.
3: The city of Chicago cannot go on welcoming new arrivals safely and capably without significant support and immigration policy changes.
0: So is he asking for anything other than the work permits um, from he the hasn't, federal
3: government? Uh, he hasn't really like come out publicly talking about specific asks. Um, I know that many um, leaders in Illinois have called for uh, President Biden to declare... Um, I think it was called a disaster proclamation to free up more federal funds. Um, and I know, you know, privately, there is this concern that Chicago is hosting the DNC next year. How, Yeah. I don't want to say embarrassing, but like how much of an egg on the Democrats face would it be that we have this humanitarian crisis and we're not able to take care of our most vulnerable? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good question.
0: I'll throw it out to the rest of you, right? We're, we're planning for next summer's DNC. I mean, do you think this migrant crisis is going away, Brandis, or might it actually get worse?
1: I think the Johnson administration has predicted that it's going to worsen. Um, I think they're under the impression that Texas—I mean, because Texas is going to, you know, accelerate or at least, you know, keep a steady drive, literally a drive of buses coming almost daily, um, as has been the case since, I think, May when Johnson took office, um, of more and more migrants arriving, right? And if if the city of Chicago is already this far behind the ball, right, and just cannot keep up with the steady stream of people who are arriving— I don't see how they're going to be able to like to, you know, to get in front of it uh,
2: within the year. Yeah, It's not looking to give us some hope, Patrick. Oh, boy. I mean, I, you know, I don't think there's anything about the, the political climate or the, the other factors that are causing this issue. Not I don't see what would yeah. change about that in a year. I mean, I think the thing that reporters like Alice will be looking for when we get closer to the convention will be if the city makes efforts to kind of try to hide the problem away, mm. uh, essentially, which can be can can, can we've seen that happen before. Yeah, yeah,
0: for sure. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is the Weekly News Recap, where we take you behind the headlines of the week's top local stories. Before the break, we took a deep dive into the one-year anniversary of the first bus of migrants arriving from Texas. But there's a lot more news to get to.
3: Two Chicago firefighters were locked inside a burning building held hostage at Knife Point.
0: The theater in Chicago's Portage Park neighborhood has been
3: shut down following a reported illegal rave party over the weekend. The Chicago Fire Department is mourning the loss of one of its members today, Lieutenant Kevin Ward. A Chicago television news crew has been robbed at gunpoint while they were reporting on a string of robberies.
1: Hate crimes are on the rise in Chicago. That's the takeaway from a new report out from Chicago's Commission on Human Relations presented to the city's budget committee yesterday.
0: Our panel today to help break down these stories, Brandis Friedman, co-anchor and correspondent of WTTW's Chicago Tonight, Chicago Tribune political reporter Alice Yin and WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith. All right, Patrick, a new report that had startling data about hate crimes in Chicago is out. Fill yeah, in.
2: yeah the, the Sun-Times reported on this. Uh, it's a report from the, uh, the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism at California State University in San Bernardino. Uh, they found that Chicago recorded its highest number of hate crimes in nearly three decades last year. The most targeted groups being black people and Jewish people. Um and 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 it's it's the numbers are obviously incredibly grim, um, and, and they they reflect what you you hear anecdotally from people about yeah. about a feeling, uh, you know, heightened tension and and more more sort of animosity that they're feeling. I will say I I, I want to just caution about the data specifically, which is that you know I, I'm not denying at all that this is an issue, but when you've got cases where some of the numbers are like single digits, like like this this jump that they're talking about. In some cases, it's like from six incidents in 2021 to Mm -hmm. 36 incidents in 2022, Mm -hmm. which is significant. But when you're talking about single digits like that, the data might be, um, you know, it might be a little murky there. Like, for instance, that report said there was a 340 percent jump in reported hate crimes against white people in Chicago. It was one of the highest. I'm not saying there aren't hate crimes against white people, but those sorts of numbers make you go, okay. Is this just, like, people yeah. are reporting it more? So so right. I guess I don't have a, like, hard and strong point to make besides that, like— I think we should always have some sort of nuance and skepticism with these. Kinds
0: yeah, of I mean, reports. anytime I hear any type of hate crime data, I'm always mindful of the fact that not everything is getting reported right. in the first place. Right.
1: Well, and, and it said that, you know, the most hate crimes that were reported against black and Jewish people. And that just tells me that black and Jewish people are doing the most reporting. Right. Because right. I'm kind of surprised in like this post-COVID covert post world. I said that with air quotes, everybody. Um you know, that it, we don't hear more about Asian-American reports, right? Because we've certainly discussed that a whole good bit um, over the last few years yeah. um, in, in other, you know, other marginalized communities as well.
0: All right. Sticking with you, Brandis. Uh, this is a bizarre one. A local TV news crew that was covering crime. Well, they actually became the story and made national headlines. I saw
1: that <laughs> because I heard about it locally. Right. And I was like, oh, my goodness, do I know them? Turns out I actually do. Um, <laughs> and then. um And it made national headlines. Right. And I mean, I feel like this is not the first time as, you know, TV news reporter, I have heard my colleagues, you know, their bags have gotten stolen out of the live truck um, or camera has gotten stolen before out Mm -hmm. of the out of the, the unit, whatever it might be. Um, and for them, it you know, it's a little bit different though, when it's you know, a crime against your person, right? where someone pulls a gun on you, yeah, uh, I mean, they, like, they were reporting on a string of robberies, and, and then became, yeah, ended up robbed. It at is gun probably point. the very people that they were reporting on who robbed them is my guess, right my um guess. which which is unfortunate. um, you know, the, I, I talked to the reporter, he's a tough guy, he's fine, thankfully, um, yeah, they're safe, good, thankfully, but, yeah, yeah, and and the station's not revealing their names right now and keeping keeping that, you know protected for obvious reasons. but um. Yeah, it makes us all kind of think, you know. It could be any of us. I'm I'm glad they're safe. It's also not the national news that we want to make here in
0: Chicago Darn as well. It.
2: It's it's already, <laughs> but it's the news the nation wants from us.
0: It is the news the nation expects yes. from Chicago, sadly. Um of course, you know, uh, to Brandis's point, again I want to underscore TV crews they're walking around with expensive equipment, right? So I imagine a lot of newsrooms right now across the city, they're talking about this, right? Just trying to keep their things safe.
1: I would imagine they are, but it's probably something that they've already talked about, right? Because it's not the first time that this has happened to a news crew. Um, I mean, it's one thing to be, you know, robbed personally versus your stuff just taken out of the van when you weren't looking. Even though the van was locked, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I used to be one of those reporters when I was in D.C. I'd leave my bag in the car, just take a note, you know, a notepad and my phone and off I go. Uh, until I heard, oh, the morning crew, their stuff got stolen. And it happens at those funny hours as well, right? Yeah. You know, this when, this was a morning crew and they were working at 5 a.m. in the morning when, you know, it might be a little bit dark. It's a little bit quiet. When I used to VJ, I mean, I didn't have a crew. So it was me. Just you. And just sheer, you know, just
0: not having enough shoulders <laughs> on my body just to can't carry, carry all that a stuff tripod and camera banding. and my mm-hmm. purse. I would just leave. The, I just got comfortable leaving my purse in the Sprinter, or, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's a good reminder for us all. for be sure. Careful. Yes. Uh, Alice, the police were called over to the northwest side's Shuttered Portage Theater on Saturday night. What was that about?
3: Um, yeah, they were. Um, they got reports of an illegal gathering that turned out to be um, an underground rave hosted by, I, I want to say organization, but I'm not really sure how it works. But it's called Redline Chicago, and they, I guess, advertise all over uh, Facebook and other social media, um, which... I guess it's kind of new in the underground rave scene cuz like that's always existed in mm-hmm. on the northwest side but I don't know what you you're it... about. I go to yeah, underground
1: was... raves all the time. Excuse me.
3: <laughs> um, I know news. nothing about these these uh
0: <laughs> underground.
3: What's a <the> rave?
0: Raves. <laughs> Sorry,
3: I go on. Um, yeah, She's I mean So like, this uh, happens
0: all the time. It does.
3: <laughs> well, I, yeah, I guess I guess it also kind of ties to like the youth gatherings too where you put it on social media and it just gets way more out of control than it probably has in the past and then um, you know, that building also is marked, like, not safe for entry. So the police responded. It was shut down. And, well, yeah, we'll see what happens in the future. There will be another one this weekend.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm showing my age because I'm like, well, if you're going to do, like, you know, hold an illegal rave if you want to. Uh <laughs> But, like, posting about it on social media seems like, yeah, you're going to get the cops called. But also that's how uh, people communicate with that's each other now. That's how people show up. Right? So mm-hmm. I'm like, why would you post about it? It's like, well, people aren't really flyering anymore probably the way it is. all sure. It's
0: all about social media. And yeah.
2: if
1: you were there, you were probably having a rockin' good time, right? Except for the part where it wasn't that safe, you know? It's all yeah. fun and games until somebody gets hurt. And I can tell you weren't there because the people who were there don't say rock rockin, and good good time. Time, <laughs> <laughs> rockin' good time. Rockin' good time,
2: everybody. Police shut down rocking good time on Northwest Side. <laughs>
1: That's your next headline. Right, right. <laughs> You're welcome everybody. All right, so Patrick,
0: cops were also called over to the West Town neighborhood last weekend. This is another bizarre story. This one though involves an art gallery.
2: Yeah, it was an art gallery on Chicago Avenue uh, around 2:45 a.m. Sunday, a pickup truck smashed into the front uh of this West Town art gallery. Um it sort of careened off Chicago Avenue and straight into into the the building block club Chicago reported. Um, no one was injured, fortunately, uh, but it seems that the gallery is going to be closed for months, according to its owner. Uh, again, through Black Club's reporting that, uh, that that there's so much damage, it's going to take a while. It, it's also interesting. The owner, um, he told Black Club that that he's heard about you know street racing on that part of Chicago Avenue, so yeah. he thinks that might be the cause there's of it. Some
0: speculation around that. Yeah he, yeah,
2: he he also speculated uh, that uh, that maybe it was intentional. Said you know the way that this truck, and I was watching the, the security video and and. I can't tell. But, you know, he's saying this came in perpendicular. It looked like an intentional, you know, sort of left turn into into my building. Um, I I, I wouldn't know. But but certainly whenever there's a that kind of whenever a truck smashes into a building, there's a lot of questions about what happened. For sure.
0: Yeah. Brand is two firefighters. They made headlines, too. This is after someone locked them inside of a house. What do we know there?
1: So uh, it seems like the firefighters they were called to the house for. Um, I think there might have been a car fire in the garage, right? Um, and I guess firefighters take care of that. Man lures them into the house, saying something. Something smells like gasoline. So they get inside the house. <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, he's pointing towards I think what is the basement, and uh, I. Th- I- Larry Langford reports that the officers were I think a battalion chief maybe uh, and maybe a lieutenant were you know smart enough to say okay you go first so they get downstairs and realize there's gasoline on the floor um and they immediately notice the the smell of the accelerant um and the man retreating quickly up the stairs they mm. follow him up the stairs I think he pulls a knife uh, they get trapped downstairs, basically. Wow. So other firefighters outside are able to break some windows, um, pull them out to safety, and then uh, I think the the man is barricaded in the house. Uh, they they you know they're able to break back in, find a weapon. Um, I think he was like trapped in the bathroom with like. It, it, a knife oh my and goodness. not a firearm or not a firearm that can fire a bullet. I mean, bullet. why did he do this? Is there any idea of the motive here? No idea of the motive. That wasn't reported. I think he may have had some priors. Um, sounds like someone who may not be well. Um, it, still some questions on that one. Yeah. Obviously, we're thankful that those firefighters <laughs> were yeah. able to be pulled to safety. But it sounds really creepy Yeah, and yeah disturbing.
2: Th- the reporter for police, I think, said that he... You know allegedly said he he did he wanted to die was what he said after he had been arrested oh, okay now now as to why that would you know obviously there's something more going on there when you intentionally lure people in and, and and lock them in. He has been arrested, as Brandis was saying he's charged with attempted murder and is actually due in bond court today.
0: Another reminder of how dangerous a job this is. Our hearts are going out to the family friends and colleagues of Chicago Fire Department Lieutenant Kevin Ward, who died this week. this was several weeks after he was at injured during a house fire that was near uh, O'Hare Airport. Rest in peace. Uh, Now, before we take another pause, Patrick, uh, former police superintendent Matt Rodriguez died on Wednesday. He was 87 years old. Uh, Tell us a bit more and and what his legacy will be.
2: Yeah, Rodriguez, uh, he was the first Latino ever to lead the Chicago Police Department. Uh, He was appointed by uh, Mayor Daley um, in 1992. And I think his legacy... On, on top of being, you know, a, a, uh, um, a pioneer in the, in the sense that he was the first Latino leader of the Chicago Police Department, he also was the one who introduced community policing, uh, the concept of community policing and the sort of CAPS program that we have to Chicago and brought, brought it to the Chicago Police Department in the 90s. So I think that that, that, that is the legacy he le- leaves behind. <laughs>
0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we're back with more of our weekly news recap, giving you a closer look at the week's top stories across Chicago and Illinois. Now, before the break, we looked at a new report that's highlighting a startling increase in hate crimes in the Chicago area. But we still have more news to cover with Chicago Tribune political reporter Alice Yin, Brandis Friedman, co-anchor and correspondent of WTTW's Chicago Tonight, and WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith. All right, I want to start this section off with a tragedy uh, that occurred overnight. Unfortunately, two bodies were pulled from Lake Michigan just hours apart this morning. And again, a reminder to all of us to be careful and and just of the strength and dangers of the lake. It's beautiful, but it can be dangerous. But continuing with that, I want to dig into some other stories here because uh, despite it being in the 90s today, there was actually no Friday morning swim club. It usually happens at Montrose Harbor, Brandis. Fill us in about this swim club. What, why weren't they gathering?
1: So uh, this is the third season of the of the Friday morning swim club, um, and the group has said, you know what, you know, there's been some safety concerns, right? Like I, th- I think it's gotten pretty popular. Not quite like the rock and good raves we were talking about, <laughs> but like thousands of swimmers showing up to go for a swim. <laughs> um, and I think the park district was saying, hey, this isn't safe, and we've got some concerns. Um, and so the group that organizes them um, have said, you know what, we're we're rethinking it for season four. It's going to come back. Sorry we couldn't do it. Hmm. Um, this time. So stay tuned. Uh, and that's that's kind of where we are right now. They were, um, you know, swimming in the lake weekly at, uh, you know, Montrose Harbor. Um, it sounds like I wonder what you do in a swim club. Like I was the lake, thinking the same thing. Show up and swim. I think so. Right.
2: <laughs> you know, I thought ugh, here I am. I'm gonna, I'm, I mean, I want to bring things down. But I thought Stephanie Coleman from Northwestern uh, this morning was, was tweeting out something that I thought was really interesting about the swim club and sort of how we in the media cover uh, acts of, of lawlessness and how the city interacted with it. I mean, mm-hmm. technically, I'm not trying to be a buzzkill. That was an illegal thing. You're not, I love to swim at that spot. It's actually really good because you can jump in and get all the way in instead of at the beach where you yeah. can only go up to But the, there like, were permits fins. that
0: were to be had and those exactly. weren't applied for it. Right. And,
2: and, and so to me, it's like, yeah, let people have their fun. But they, weren't, they were actually breaking the law and the way that it was treated by us as a city was like, look at this cool, fun thing that like probably wealthier white people are doing, whereas other instances of people breaking the law, if it's younger people, if it's people of color, are not treated with the same sort of whimsy about what fun everyone's having.
0: You do make a good point there. Um, Now, Alice, the organizers of the Chicago Triathlon learned just how treacherous Lake Michigan can be as well. What happened last Sunday?
3: Yeah. um, So this international triathlon was scheduled to have a .93 mile swim um, in addition to like a 25 mile bike ride, six mile run. Uh, But the waves were just too high. The currents were too strong and um, conditions were not safe for swimming. So that part was canceled. Obviously, a huge disappointment that you can only do two of the three activities. Although as someone who hates all three, I wouldn't so mind it. But um, yeah. I that's... was waiting for that. <laughs>
1: well and considering like, you know, how much time you spend training for a triathlon, I can imagine it was probably a big letdown for those. I have never done it and I never will. Yeah. But I can imagine that was a big letdown for the folks who are working towards that.
0: Is it just me? I mean, I don't get any urge at all to swim in Lake Michigan. Nope. I was at Promontory Point what? last night. No. I mean I will put my feet in, but I don't want to like go laps. full on swimming and hey, doing laps like I went at a pool. Sounds hard. It just sounds like a lot. (laughs) I don't know how deep that is.
2: Oh, it's awesome. I, I, that's the best thing about Chicago, is, is, is jumping in the lake. Well, That's not the best thing people about People underestimate
0: how strong the I was going to say, are. I must have been doing
1: Chicago wrong
0: for the past two
3: and a half
2: years. <laughs> I'm like, that's not <laughs> it's my thing
3: about
1: Chicago. About Chicago. I, like, it's, it's, I but it's your favorite thing. my favorite
2: thing about Chicago. <laughs>
1: well, I could name some restaurants that might be the best <laughs> exactly. thing about Chicago. <laughs> exactly. <Like, laughs> like I could name ten other things that I, that I would rather All do. Right, well,
0: <laughs> At least. <laughs> All right. Uh, similar to this Friday Morning Swim Club, there's another event, Patrick, that... I think may have gotten too popular for its own good, and that's the Logan Square Farmer's Market. We talked about this last week on the, the the recap, about it being canceled for the first time ever. But by Sunday morning, I'm hearing the market was back on, and they had a celebrity visitor.
2: Yes, they did. Well, yeah, <laughs> I guess it depends how exciting you find Mayor Johnson, but that's a celebrity, right? We all know. Who's A-list, it. right? Yeah, he, he's an A-lister in Chicago. Sure. Yes, Mayor, Mayor Johnson was at the... Uh, I guess I can't say reopen because it never actually closed, but the, the saved uh, Sunday Logan Square Farmer's Market. Um, this was a case where, as you said, it got, it, you know, according to organizers, almost had gotten too big for its own good. I yeah. think they were up to like... I want to remember, I think they were up to like 15,000 people every Sunday, which is like... I mean,
0: what was it about this farmer's market? Has anyone been... Well, so so it's... it's How do you get so popular as a my, farmer's market?
2: It's my neighborhood farmer's market. You know, my wife, Mina Bloom, reports for Block Club Chicago. She's the one who broke the story that they were going to close this down, so I got to shout her out. We, we certainly go, although I haven't gone in kind of a while. I'm, I sound like Yogi Berra, but I'm basically like, nobody goes anymore. It's too crowded. It, it really <laughs> does feel that way. And, you know, there was a there was like... Things on TikTok about, about it being a place to, like, meet singles, um, which, I, you know, uh, people I – I saw know a headline I that referenced it's, it it's being essentially, a – Say no more. You yeah. said the words. It's, it's, it's essentially TikTok essentially like a dog show, too. But but it's a great farmer's market. I love it. Organizers said it, because it was so big, it was dangerous. They wanted uh, – it is, like, this bizarre intersection that it's at that's already kind of a dangerous – Place with cars and pedestrians, mm-hmm. and then you put fifteen thousand people there. Wow, I hope I have that number right because I'm using it a lot. But you put fifteen thousand well, people there. Your wife <laughs> broke the story, and she will be really <laughs> upset be when upset you get home. Call <laughs> her? This is her. If this is misinformation. It's her fault. Um, <laughs> um, so they were saying we need to shut down part of the road here to make it safe. The city denied that. So they said, fine, we won't have a market. At the last minute, they the city did agree to shut down the did agree to shut down the road. They had the market. Vendor said it felt safer, and and uh, and and I think people were able to spread out a little bit more. Yeah.
0: Well, Patrick says this is his neighborhood market, but do do you too, Brandis and
1: Alice? Do you have a favorite farmers market that you frequent? I don't have a favorite, um, but I live in Evanston, so on the occasion that we can get our kids to cooperate, so that we can all go, <laughs> then the family <laughs> will go to the Evanston Farmers Market. Uh, or usually, my husband loves it, so usually he's the one going, and he comes back with like a bag full of vegetables that he's oh. all excited about.
0: Shout out to the Evanston Farmers all right. Market. Mm-hmm. Alice, uh, I I am hoping to go one of these days. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Don't
3: Bring worry, big. Alice. I'm right
0: with you, girl. This is let's add that to the add Lake Michigan and farmers, <laughs> and market. farmers market to the list of things. Jump that into I,
2: the lake with your heirloom tomatoes.
0: <laughs> uh, you're just in time for a busy holiday weekend. I'm looking at you, Brandis, because I know that flight attendants they were
1: picketing at O'Hare. Talk about timing, but I mean. They've got some serious concerns. Yeah, they're picketing, um, but it, so, flight attendants picketing. They have uh, the American Airlines flight attendants have voted for a strike. I think like ninety nine percent of those who voted, voted in favor of the strike. Now, you know, this is coming at the same time that, you know, you've got pilots, I think, at um, Southwest Airlines, as well as flight attendants at United Airlines also picketing. And uh, I think there may have been some other strike votes. I think somebody else just came to a contract agreement earlier this week. So obviously, you know, it sounds like there's. Some unrest um, among you know, pilots and flight attendants as far as um, staffing goes. And with, with regard to the pilots, like, there's a shortage of, of pilots, right? Mm-hmm. So it gets a little scary. Thing is, voting to take a strike, they are leveraging you know, their ability to show management that they're very serious. But that doesn't mean a strike is imminent. Federal mediators have to get involved um, before they can actually go out on strike, because obviously that would be detrimental uh, to the airline industry and yeah. to all of our travel plans if, if a strike should actually happen. can have travel plans, anybody got plans? this weekend?
2: I'm so excited about my plans to where are you stay going? at home. Oh. <laughs> I actually bought that. I was like, where are you going? No, are I you am heading? actually excited about it.
0: Sometimes
3: don't a, blame you. Sometimes those are the best plans, yeah. right? To have no plans.
0: Traveling anywhere, Alice?
3: Uh, just going to have a good night's sleep every night before <laughs> budget season begins. Oh, man. Spoken like she a said true city word. hall <laughs> Brandis.
1: Budget season. We might do a day trip. It's not. We're not. We haven't figured out where we're going to go yet. So that's that's about as far as I've gotten. I'm, I think I'm taking my kids to the zoo tomorrow. Wish me luck. Yeah. Good luck with
0: that. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. I I made fun of you there, Patrick. But I'm right with you. I'm not doing a thing, and I am loving it. Well,
2: sounds like we are all going to have a rocking good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're welcome. We're not going to let you forget that, no. <laughs> Uh Both the airports and the roads they're expected to be busy this holiday weekend. Uh, For those drivers out there, though, there is another headline to share with you all. Starting September 1st, so that would be today, you'll need to make an appointment to renew your driver's license. So... Is that a good idea? <laughs> now you can't just roll into the DMV and, you know, take a think,
1: number and sit down. I think the idea is supposed to be, look, you can make an appointment and when you get there, things will just happen on time and you won't have to wait in line because the like so I have au pairs for childcare and they're always international obviously okay. and they have to get a driver's license mm-hmm. and I tell them because they're not ready for this, the DMV no matter where you live is lousy, right? I've lived in multiple different states, and you're going to have to wait in line. And when you get to the front of the line, they're going to be kind of cranky. And Although, uh, you know, they're working very hard, obviously. (laughs) But, like, it's just, it's kind of a thing, right? And so I think this is supposed to help overcome that. The line won't be ridiculously long. um, You won't have to wait. uh, And because you've made an appointment. Uh, There are certain appointments that you don't, and and the Secretary of State's office is encouraging people to, if you know, certain steps you can do online. You don't even have to come in um, but for the things that I you mean, need that to come in for, driver's test, et cetera, you can make an appointment for that. Um, and they're implementing that at 44 um, uh, of the busiest DMVs across the state, which is all of the ones in Chicago and Chicago all, suburbs. Yeah,
0: starting today. I mean, I feel like I I have to think back at how many times I've actually gone to the DMV without an appointment. I, I don't know if it's like a to ago.
1: Yeah, but <laughs> that work I, I, out I for always you? have
0: an appointment, though.
1: For some yeah, reason. well, I so. always have to make one. And they implemented that, I think, during COVID was was making appointments.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I went two weeks ago, I went to the downtown one across. I think they moved it temporarily across the Thompson Center. Um, lines are really long. And by the end, there was like a woman like just losing it, like screaming, crying. I don't know. Like if she she's had a million for people in the line but, like, Yeah. Like the guards had to. It, so it can, I don't know. Be exp- it can be a <laughs> tough experience. It's a yeah. lot. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think it sounds like a great idea. And I will think that up until like a year from now when I just show up completely <laughs> forgetting about this. And then you get down there and you're annoyed. Yeah, right? exactly. So it'll be like
1: it'll be interesting to see how it works out. Right. If making an appointment is actually a time saver.
0: Yeah. Well, as we start to wrap up our conversation, folks, I'm wondering if there are any stories that really stuck out to you this week. Maybe they surprised you. Uh, maybe you thought that they were underreported.
2: Patrick. Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, our colleague, Chip Mitchell, had a story out today sort of looking at uh, murder numbers in Chicago through the first eight months. We're down 21 percent from okay. where we were in 2021, which was like this historic high. So mm-hmm. murder numbers are they've been falling for the last 20 months, which is good news. We're still considerably elevated compared to we were like where we were like 10 years ago.
0: So well before the pandemic. Yeah, So well bef- before. basically
2: before uh, honestly, before the Laquan McDonald video was released, mm you go back to 2015 and before uh we were averaging around 300 murders by this time in the year like Mm -hmm. through the end of august now we're 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 at about 420 uh so far this year jeez
0: my goodness anything that sticks out to you Brandis?
1: Um, uh, yeah, actually, so I was just talking to someone about this this morning. It's, it's a story that uh, your former colleague Shannon Heffernan did in uh, in conjunction with Carlos Velasquez at Injustice Watch, and it's about the Joe Coleman Medical Release Act yes. um, that allows. That was a big um, one. Yeah, that was a big one. I think it, you know didn't get enough pickup. Uh, the act itself allows um, people who are incarcerated and are you know meet certain requirements, but they're likely terminally ill, very sick, um, can't do a lot of tasks for themselves. Um, allows them to petition the Illinois uh, Prisoner Review Board uh, for early. Release. Mm. And um, it, it, their research found that it's not really working the way advocates had advocated for it to work, right? Yeah. which was to release a lot more people. Very few of them are getting uh, allowed.
0: That's a big story. You worked with Shannon on this one, didn't you, Patrick?
2: I edited Shannon on that and, and uh, it was her final story for us here at WBEZ. Yeah. And, and, and actually, this has giving me the opportunity to say what an incredible colleague she was and how much we're going to miss here, her. Yeah, at Shannon
0: WBEZ. is awesome. I, I told her, I'm like, don't be a stranger to Reset. No. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't still think that you back. leave. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I, will find, I will hunt you down.
2: <laughs> I, I, She's at the Marshall Project. You can <laughs> find her <laughs> you there. Can find her. I do also just want to say Uh, I got a text from Mina, my wife, and 15,000 is the right number Ah, for the uh, the Thank you, Mina, for
1: the fact check. We were
0: wondering. (laughs) (laughs) We could not leave without finding out how many people would go to the Logan Square Farmer's Market. Uh, Alice, anything coming to mind as far as stories this week that...
3: Um, I, out. I guess I'm um, not new this week, but just bring Chicago home. The mayor and his allies are going to make their biggest push yet to try to put it on the March ballot. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to be a lot of probably campaigning around that on both sides. Um, and, yeah, it just remains to be seen whether voters in Chicago will uh, be willing to um, raise uh, the tax on certain real estate sales to help fund homelessness services or whether they'll think that that um, would um, hamper the real estate market. Yeah. Well, looking ahead to next
0: week, what are you all going to be keeping an eye on? Can uh... Candace. Brandis. It is not the first time it's happened. Uh, <laughs> don't make it
1: worse. Patrick. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um You know, I, I honestly, like I would like to look a little bit more at the Joe Coleman research that you know our colleagues have already done uh, and see what else can be talked about there. Um and other than that, like the news just kind of comes at me. <laughs> I just let let's it wash talk over about me, right? Let's like, talk about that. I don't know what's happening. Anchor to anchor. What is that <laughs> like? Exactly. It just it just kind of comes at me and I'm like, oh yeah, let's take that in and see what it's about and, and digest it. Yeah. Well I mean you've got a lot. On your plate, Alice, I can only imagine. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> Mayor Johnson, that's um, funny. Yeah, I guess uh, one thing to look out for, and this is on your beat, too. Um, I think Larry Snelling is up for his first committee vote approval next week. Um, oh, and is that, that happening? That kind of that I, kinda caps off I was off wondering first... when we were
0: going to have some movement there. Yeah.
3: yeah, I think it's next week. Um, but yeah, I think that caps off this new process, um, the, whole, the city's going through with weather. Um, yeah, and how it'll, how it'll play out. Yeah the new police superintendent right
2: Yeah I I will be watching for that as well uh and you know we are it's a couple weeks away but but this month uh, cash bail is ending in Illinois, so, oh, yes. so doing a lot of reporting and prep for that. September 18th will be the first day with this new system. And this weekend I'm watching uh, the U.S. Open, Coco Golf Place tonight. Oh, yes. So and, you do have plans. I've got big plans, <laughs> yeah.
0: And you've got your, your calendar, your, your alarm set on September 18th? <laughs> yes, I, so I do. Like. <laughs> we'll leave it there. That is uh, WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith. Uh, Chicago Tribune political reporter Alice Yin and Brandis Friedman, co-anchor and correspondent of WTTW's Chicago Tonight. What a fun bunch. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having
3: us.
0: Have a great long weekend. Same to you. Thanks. Happy Labor Day. <laughs> what, what else can I say? Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>